Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Josh Itano, co-founder and CEO of CareCar, a company that is creating improved access to care for hundreds of thousands of people in need. They've grown 3x every year since inception, and they're not slowing down. In this episode, we talk about how Josh started this company and the team behind it, why he's gone without salary really every year since they've started, how they closed the first deal for CareCar, the three major user groups they have for their platform, plans for expansion, his experience working one-on-one with Chris Voss, how Josh is approaching the fundraising process, books that have been impactful for him, and how he manages the stress of running a startup. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, We Are No Code. Their mission is to empower non-technical founders. The problem is that if you don't know how to code, building your MVP or app idea is a frustrating process. Developers are expensive. Looking for a perfect tech co-founder is time-consuming. And learning how to code can take three years or more. Their program is called the No Code Startup. And it's a no-code accelerator program that teaches founders how to build, launch, and monetize their startup without hiring expensive developers or waiting for a technical co-founder. No-code is a disruptive new way of building software products that allows users to drag and drop functionalities to build powerful solutions like Uber, Airbnb, Twitter, and much, much more. They have founders in over 12 countries and partnerships with organizations like UCLA Accelerator, Startup Boost, and Scale Health. If you want to learn more and find out if No Code is a good fit for your startup, visit them at wearenocode.com slash just go grind. Without further ado, here is Josh Itano, co-founder and CEO of CareCar. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Justin. Appreciate being here. Yeah, appreciate you taking the time to come on and obviously talking about CareCar. I want to know, first off, people aren't familiar, what are you doing with this company right now? Yeah, so we're essentially a market network platform to manage supplemental benefits uh, for specifically in-home care and non-emergent medical transportation. Uh, What that means is we're essentially trying to make it really easy for seniors um, and Medicaid beneficiaries to access you know, transportation to their doctor's appointments or get the care at home that they, you know, so desperately need at times. And with this as well then, Josh, why did you decide to start this company? Uh, I mean, there's a number of reasons. I mean, you know, I think personally, uh, I just like healthcare because it's one of these industries where you have the uh, potential to do good by, uh, you know, doing well by doing good. Uh, but in particular, like how this sort of spawned off was I was working at another startup called Alignment Healthcare, um, and we sort of encountered the problem of transport as a barrier to care. Uh, and I experienced it firsthand when I was working with uh, the team at Alignment. Um, we were both a sort of managed care organization, and we also owned uh, and operated uh, Medicare Advantage health plans. And, you know, in working with the clinical team there, we just found that uh, transportation was a big barrier to care for a lot of folks. And the existing systems and solutions, I just didn't think cut it. And so that's sort of what led to the beginning of CareCar. We just really wanted to provide more access to patients. And in the beginning then, what did this look like? What was the MVP of CareCar or the initial version that you you had or launched into the world? Yeah, so our MVP very much was 
sort of like a, a two-sided marketplace in the sense that we had, you know, the, we, we wanted to work with the payer and just provide that sort of two-way connection between uh, a patient and uh, a provider. And in this case, it was just sort of a driver that uh, knew a little bit about healthcare. Uh, and then, so look, what that would look like is a patient could call in at any time and just request, hey, I need to go to my, um, you know, I need to go to my physician's appointment. Uh, yeah. And then we realized quickly later on, uh, I should say quickly, that, you know, uh, the senior population and the Medicaid population, they have very complex psychosocial and physiological needs. Um, and so we really wanted to focus on who was encountering them. So we focused a lot on the supply side um, uh, and really developing uh, who was going to be doing that such that like we look for certified nursing assistants, medical assistants, folks that really understand those patient needs, because we felt like that would not only provide a better healthcare experience uh, to the patient, uh, but also there would probably be opportunities to do more in the future. Um, and our client, which is the health plan, uh, really appreciated that uh, to us taking that approach. And obviously you said us. So who was the uh, the founders of the company, the initial team that helped build this? Yeah, uh, I wish I could say it was all me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, so uh, I started this company with two folks, um, uh, my partner and longtime friend and COO. Uh, her name is Jennifer Gallinger. She, uh, she's been in healthcare longer than me. Uh, she started out on the Johnson & Johnson device side uh, after getting her business degree, then fell in love with like the OR and clinical, decided to go back to school, get her nursing degree. Uh, and then decided to use both um, both her degrees and was working at another company called Cielo, um, where she was doing sort of the RPO, like recruiting, modeling, and all that, and which is perfect for us because building supply is really hard. Um, and so I thought that she was the perfect person to come on board. And then, of course, like, you know, with any platform, uh, you need a technology guy. Uh, and we were fortunate to get a CTO by the name of Mike Matz uh, working with us to, to build all the sort of technology stack that empowers everything. How did you find your your CTO? Because that's a big part of it. A lot of for non-technical founders, it's so challenging to do that. How'd you go about that? You know, um, I'm not, you know, so I'm like, I'm definitely not uh, an engineer by trade. Uh, I know enough to be slightly dangerous when it comes to like conceptualizing <laughs> things, uh, but certainly not there. And funny story, like it, this Mike actually was the CTO of my roommate's old company. Like this was years ago. Uh, and yeah. I was telling my roommate that I was looking for somebody and said, well, I think my uh, old boss, uh, you know, be willing to take a look at the project. And that's kind of how that got started. Fortuitous. That's awesome. Gotta, Fortuitous. Yeah. Yeah. Got to have those, work those connections that you have if you, if you have someone that happens to be technical. I mean, in that too, though, what were their conversations like around convincing them to join the startup then? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if they regret it or not. <laughs> I try not to ask that question. Um, what did it take? Um, I mean, I, I think culturally, like that idea of doing well by doing good, right? Like has really resonated yeah. with uh, everybody on our team, you know, like starting from Jen and Mike and, and growing, you know, to, I think we have 60 some employees now. Um, and you know, people are joining because of the mission, you know, they, they understand the promise financially, but they're like, you know, we're willing to take the risk on this because of what we can do for the world. That's a big part of it. I think a lot of companies I've talked to that have a similar, a similar mission or really are doing impactful, good things. They can acquire top talent away from other places and it convince them to join a startup if they have that type of mission behind it. With this as well, though, even uh, you mentioned Jen joining and helping out as well. 
what were those conversations around should we even start a company or or not? I'm curious about that. Yeah. I mean, I think that before you start a company, there's certainly like a glamour to it, <laughs> you know, like, uh, which we have to be honest and about, right? Like, I think it'd be dishonest to, to not acknowledge that. But then when you start working, obviously it becomes less glamorous. But, you know, I think in those early conversations, like you, you have to weigh, uh, you know, the risk involved. Like we've invested a lot of time, a lot of money. Um, we've foregone salaries for a long time uh, to make this all work. Um you know, I, you know, I would say that I was the first to leave my company and start working on it. And then Jen was the second and Mike was the third. Um, yeah, I know. I think it just, uh, we, we try to be as, we try to mitigate risk as much as possible, but obviously like there was a moment when we decided to take the leap. And I think that moment was when we got our first deal, um, at least for Jen and Mike, like, uh, we were really fortunate to, uh, uh, land sort of our landmark deal with, uh, a, a health plan called central, uh, Central Health Medicare Plan in Southern California, um, and we launched them in 2018 for the most part, uh, and that's when we really decided to like everybody jumped on full time and you know on board. Yeah, that makes total sense. How long did you go without a salary? Just curious. I mean, technically, uh, we're still not salaried. Like we pay ourselves, I would say, when we can, if we can, uh, but we try to reinvest uh, or reinvest everything that we that we have into the company right now. So we're you know we've grown three x every year. Um, and you know, we have, I would say, you know, some backing from angels. We are, we're fortunate to just got uh, a partnership from impact America fund. Um, but for the most part, like we bootstrapped this from the beginning. So, um, you know, ever, all the capital has been in the business. And, and with that too, I know you mentioned 2018, you closed that first deal. How did that first deal come about? How did that go actually get into closing them from even the first talks to then actually giving them as a paid customer? Yeah. Um, I mean, healthcare is tough and selling to payers is tougher. Um, you know, I think that it's an industry where it's, it's who you know and what you can prove. And when you're a startup, you can't prove much because you don't have a lot of data. Yeah. Um, so we actually, to get that data before we actually landed Central Health, uh, we worked with FQHCs, which are um, essentially like federally qualified health clinics. Um, um, you know, they have, they're, they're subsidized, they have a lot of mission work, nonprofit work that are associated with them, and they're always looking for help uh, doing what they do. So we actually partnered with them first to get data um, so, so we could demonstrate like how our platform would work uh, for a health plan. And we used, and we principally provided that service for free for about a year uh, prior to launch. And we used that data to, to convince the plan to go with us. I've heard that from a number of different health startups as well. I mean, that's the same type of thing. It's just the realities of the industry. Like I said, that's just how you have to go about it. And it can take a lot of time. I know, I think it was um, Andrew Parker from Papa who had mentioned that yeah. it takes maybe five years to really get to like the series A uh, from launch. And like his people had told him that before he started. And then his timeline was pretty much exactly that. <laughs> it took like five years, yeah. which is kind of shocking as to how accurate that, that ended up being uh, because these do kind of move move slow. And then from that then, so in, you know, launch 2017, 2018, you get this, this first kind of like landmark client. Where does it go from there? How did you grow from there? What was the strategy in terms of the growth side of the things? Um, you know, our, you know, in that first year, we were like incredibly focused, incredibly focused on perfection. Every single, you know, thing that we thought 
should be measured, we, we would measure and present to the health plan, our client. Um, and we just wanted all of those numbers to be about like as 100% as possible. Uh, and I know that's yeah. kind of silly to, to, to just kind of say because it's obvious, but quite literally, like we did not care about anything else, how much it took, you know, in terms of cost just for that first year, because we knew we had to perform. Um, and we started figuring it out. And that's what led, like, again, it's just sort of like data on top of data to prove your point, to prove what you can do. Uh, that led to us getting a deal with Humana um, and, you know, has since led to us leading, getting other deals. So that first year, we literally just, you know, spent whatever we needed to spend uh, to make <laughs> sure that we were perfect on our KPIs. Uh, and then we figured out how to, you know, become more efficient after the fact. But um, yeah, for us, it was just like, how do we become perfect so that like it's unquestionable that people should go yeah. with us? And one of the things I want to go back to quick, Josh, you mentioned with this, obviously understanding and getting your, your first client and the financing that goes into it and going without salary, really, really reinvesting back in the business as much as possible. When you were thinking about starting this, thinking about launching this, did you have that in mind of how long you thought it would take to get to a place financially where like you would have the salaries eventually? Yeah. I'm curious on the timing, what you, what you thought about that early on. Uh, in the very beginning? <laughs> yeah. In the very beginning, I think we had probably rosier glasses on, you know? Um, and then we very quickly realized that it's going to take a lot more than we thought it was going to take. But I think, again, we were just all so committed to what we were building uh, that it didn't matter. So, you know, in the beginning, we thought, oh, we'll be able to, you know, pay ourselves in, you know, six months or a year. Didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did not happen. Uh, and now we're sort of like, you know, we don't want to pay ourselves uh, until we hit certain KPIs internally. You know, we talk about gross margins, some operational efficiencies. Like, that's how we hold ourselves accountable as a leadership team. Like, until we hit this, we don't, you know, it's not that we don't deserve the pay. It's just that we won't pay ourselves. Um, and, you know, that's just sort of, that just keeps us grinding, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the carrot dangling in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's it's tough, and I, I just talked to uh, another person as well, who uh, Aiton Ben Suzanne from uh, North One, who went the first year without salary and uh, in a banking startup, and him talking about how he thought it was going to be three months. Yeah, it's like yeah, it'll, it'll be you know it'll a be couple no months time at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then before you know it, you're like, wait, this is uh, this is taking much much longer, and obviously he's grown a lot from there. But uh, this is kind of the realities of startup life sometimes of how long it takes. From there, though, and going back to the team part, you mentioned obviously starting with the three of you, and then you know slowly going kind of full time one by one into the business. The sixty employees now, though, how have you gone about building the team, pursuing people for the company, and, and then really building the company culture around Carecar as well? How have we gone about building the team? So you know, I think that we have a we have a lot of client services staff. So these are um, you know just above entry level roles. So that that makes up a large majority of the company. Uh, and then when it comes to like leadership positions or engineers, uh, a lot of the folks that we approach, we, we sort of just start out on a contractor basis for a lot of these roles, whether it's engineering, design, product, um, marketing. Uh, we typically just engage individuals that we think would be a good fit. Uh, we contract with them. If, if they are a good fit, um, you know, we, we make the offer. Um, and, I, you know, it works out most of the time, that, that process for us. 
along the way with that as well, then Josh, in that, how, how is that structured? I'm curious because I'm sure other entrepreneurs will be wandering around going this route for hiring, starting with the contract first and then bringing people on full time. How do you structure that in terms of just the timing of that and what kind of projects or things they'll be working on? Um, you know, it's actually easier than you thought, than you think, because I would say that most people are apprehensive to, if you're like, if you have a certain skill set, right? Like if you're, a, <laughs> if you're a, you know, backend engineer and you've, you know, or data, data scientist, like, you know, you, you know what you're worth, right? And typically yeah. you don't want to take too much risk um, unless there's like a big reward. So I think most people are willing to, if, if they're independent contractors already, I think most people are willing to just like check a company out when they're going to get paid and they'll take a little bit of a hit, you know, generally uh, in terms of yeah. their compensation um, for that opportunity to understand like what the larger opportunity is. Uh, and we're always pretty upfront, like, Hey, just to let you know, like, we're going to pay you for your work. Now there is an opportunity to become full-time. Uh, there is equity involved for, you know, anybody coming in at this time period uh, in our company's life cycle, uh, life, life time. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, that's kind of just, you know, we're, we're pretty honest and upfront about that from the get go. Um, you know, we're not trying to pay people 20% of their worth, but you know, you know, I would say like between the 50 and 80% is definitely a reality. We're like, Hey, we can't do the, you know, 125 an hour, but we can do 80. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it seems to work out for us. Well, and then with that too, I'm sure it's, you know, a combination of the mission of the company and then the potential upside. That's really why people, I mean, why yeah, I imagine exactly. early, early yeah. stage company, you know, yeah. um, and having talking to a number of my friends who are at startups, you know, they're just collecting equity and, yeah. uh, and yeah. going along the way and hopping around a bit every few years, depending on the company and depending on the situation. But um, that's a huge part of kind of growing, growing the team. And obviously you mentioned having engineers or other people on the team. I would love to hear more about the product itself and what you guys are all offering, how it works, uh, the experience, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, so if you think about it as a platform and like users, we, we kind of have like three major user groups, right? We have the health plan and, you know, the administrative folks at the health plan. We have the patients, the members of the health plan. Uh, and then we have the providers, which are both drivers and, uh, you know, uh, certified nursing assistants. So like, you know, uh, providers, right? So those are like the three tranches. So our, our technology stack essentially just connects the dots between those three. Um, the health plan might have certain initiatives that when a member makes a request, that initiative is taken into account when it gets pushed to uh, a, a particular provider to provide you know, service to that particular request. So, um, and then we you know, sort of have a centralized platform to monitor all requests going into the platform and all you know, uh, requests being fulfilled by the providers. Now, uh, most of the applications that we build from like a user interface side is definitely focused on both the payer and the provider. Um, and that's only because like our patient population is typically older, right? So we're dealing with 75 and up. Um, not yeah. all of them have cell phones. Um, not all of them are technology, uh, technically savvy. Uh, so we had to build different kinds of tools for them. And it could just be like phone calls, automated messages, text messages, um, or, you know, plugins that, that uh, exist within our health plans uh, applications. So it could just be, you know, they build a, they build a, a, a different kind of design and we just expose our APIs to them. Uh, but essentially it is just like a, a marketplace platform, um, but it just takes into account, you know, sort of the, the various needs from those three user personas. I don't know how deep you want me to get into each one of those. Um, yeah. 
So, so when you're when you're when you're looking at these different personas, you mentioned earlier on that the supply side is really hard. For instance, mm-hmm. then how do you go about that in terms of these different kind of groups you're working with? Yeah. So, um, one of the big differentiators, you know, uh, I, I'm not sure how familiar you are with uh, the the world of of caregivers and home health aides. You know, I think that they are incredible people, um, and you know, just kind of like nurses, right? Where they do a lot of the work and they don't necessarily get compensated uh, uh, proportionally to the work that they do. Uh, yeah. And specifically in the, in the home aid and, and caregiver market, like a lot of them just churn out of their everyday jobs to go work somewhere else because the pay isn't well, uh, good enough for them, uh, especially for the work that they do. So one of the big carrots that, that sort of we have is that we try to make sure that every single person that's coming onto our platform, if they're, you know, they are independent contractors, but, the time that they spend working inside CareCar's platform on their application, the compensation equivalent to that is uh, what we call a living wage. So we look at MIT's living wage standards um, per market, per city, and we try to make sure that the compensation that they get is equivalent to that. So like in LA, it's, it could be, I don't know, uh, off the top of my head, I think it's like $18 an hour or something like that. So we try to make sure the compensation will equate to that at the end of the day for them. Um, and then also provide them sort of like the the information to let them know that they did make a difference today because that is why they decided to become a caregiver or a home health aide. Um, and so that's a big deal for us. Uh, we wanted to make sure that there's flexibility, um, but also stability, you know, for these folks. Um, and that was sort of one of our driving core principles from the beginning. Yeah, I love that you're doing that. It makes a lot of sense. And obviously, in terms of the, the culture of the company and what you can just even just sleeping good at night, understanding what you're doing with, with the people you're working with, I think it's a maybe underestimate, underutilized uh, side of things of just in terms of building a, a, a company. But with this as well, then, so understanding like all things you've done so far in the last number of years, uh, gotten to this point and what's next? What is the kind of uh, the next steps you think to really take this to where you want to take care car? Yeah. Uh, I mean, right now we operate in all of California and North Carolina. Um, we are hoping to expand to Texas uh, and a couple other states in the Southeast uh, in 2022. Um, and we're really focused on doing more on the home care side. Um, like, as I mentioned, you know, we started this because of the transport barrier. And then, as I mentioned, you know, we decided that the supply side should really be developed and, and sort of nurtured. And that's what led to us getting these CNAs on our platform doing transports, uh, which is also what led to us, you know, focusing on home care because we realized, hey, we have caregivers, you know, doing transports, they should be doing more than that. So our focus yeah. over the next, uh, you know, couple of years is, is just that it's diving deeper into home care uh, and just expanding our presence with health plans. So, you know, obviously we want to work with every major health plan in the U.S., because um, we want to provide access to these kinds of services to every member of those health plans. Fortunately, um, you know, the nice thing is when you turn 65, you're eligible for Medicare, uh, and you can decide whether or not you want to stick with original or go with a, a plan. So it's like, you know, the market itself is developing, you know, I think seniors are going to represent what 30 some percent of the population in just a few years. Uh, so, you know, we've got, a, we've got a ton of work to do because our healthcare system is struggling to keep up with, uh, folks as they age, uh, and services like these can really make an impact, uh, on our healthcare expenditures. And on that note too, you mentioned being in a couple a couple states now. How do you look at 
which states you want to expand into or which even uh, companies you want to partner with or work with. How do you look at that side of things, Josh? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think obviously the first thing we do is we look at big states, right? Like California is the easy one to look at. Florida, <laughs> when you think about seniors, you always think about Florida. Uh, Texas is a huge state. You know, we just look at populations first. And then when we get into like the sort of the details of it, we look at, you know, what does what we call MA penetration look like, which is how many of these seniors are enrolled in Medicare Advantage plans versus original Medicare, because we don't really work with original Medicare. Um, so that's kind of how we look at like the market development. Like that's like a right market when MA penetration is high and there's a large senior population. Uh, and then on top of that, when we f- figure that out, we take a look at the health plans that are there. So if it's like United, Humana, Aetna, Blue Cross Blue Shield, um, how innovative are they in those particular markets? Like what are they trying to do? Um, and that could be, you know, just taking a look at the benefits that they're offering their members. It could be looking at the special plans. It could be looking at how they're rated. Um, then we know that they're a good partner for us. Well, just to step back into you a little bit, just focusing more on, on your journey as well. How have you kind of reinvested in yourself as as an entrepreneur, as a, as a founder, as you've been building this company the last few years? I mean, anything that's been helpful for you? Uh, everything. <laughs> I, I spend most of my days trying to improve myself so that I can help everybody else. Uh, I consider my job to be essentially a servant to everybody else in the company. And what that looks like for me is, you know, I try to, I try to focus on professional development. I try to join organizations that will help me do that. I recently joined uh, entrepreneurial organization. Um, you know, I'm hoping to join YPO, um, you know, fairly soon here. Uh, I think these kinds of organizations where you're surrounded by other entrepreneurs, other CEOs, um, and you get into these different kinds of forums really helps you develop uh, professionally. Um, I don't know if that's what you're asking. Uh, yeah, I'm curious as to what that experience is like too. So even like in entrepreneurs organization, I've definitely heard about and have had some people on the show that have been in it. For you, what does that look like in terms of how frequently you're, you're learning from people there or connecting with them? I'm just curious for you, from your perspective. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure if you're familiar with like that concept of forum, but like, you know, you join a forum when you're in these kinds of organizations uh, and that forum meets, you know, once a month and there's specific protocols on, you know, how you engage with your forum. Uh, So like just that in and of itself, I think is beneficial to any entrepreneur uh, because you're surrounded by people who have similar uh, pain points as you, you know, like it's really hard to relate. Like I love my wife, um, but you know, when she comes home, like she's got, she'll tell me about a case that she had. And I am like, I have no idea what you're talking about. That's, that's very <laughs> clinical. Right. And if yeah. I tell her like, you know, um, something very technical that happened on the business side, she's like, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> um, it's really hard to relate. Right. Uh, so when yeah. you're with these organizations and you're surrounded by these people, you can really just like, basically everybody's got different experiences and they can share those. Uh, and, you know, without giving advice, you can, you can really understand um, something that can be helpful. So if someone has, for example, fundraising, like we're in the middle of this capital raise right now, you're surrounded by other people that have done this before and they won't even necessarily give you advice. They're just going to tell you what they did, what worked and what didn't work for them. And you can say, I see, I I don't want to make that same mistake kind of a thing. Uh, and then of course there's learning events, you know, all these organizations put on learning events. I was really fortunate to go, uh, be a part of a learning event, uh, with Chris Voss. I'm not sure if you heard of him. He's that negotiator, uh, You know, I had a one-on-one with him where we were negotiating. He was grilling me. Uh, but like, I wouldn't have had that opportunity unless I was a part of EO, you know? 
Yeah. Uh, w- wait, tell me more about that though. <laughs> you want to do it? <laughs> what do I, I'm kind of nervous to do it, but I've read this book. Well, I've listened to it on Audible. Uh, what were some things you did in that in that experience with yeah. him? I think people would be curious. He's like a hostage, former hostage negotiator. I mean, like yeah, no, it was it was it's it, it was great. Um, it, it's interesting, right? Because you know, like I, I've read the book and I've actually you know gone through his master's class. So before I like got on with him. Uh, you know, I had at least, I had some knowledge of his education before I, you know, interacted with him, but I was one of the few that was selected to sort of be like the uh, guinea pig. Uh, yeah. And, you know, he sort of puts you on the spot. You go through like a, for me, he did a, I think it was like a bank hostage negotiation sort of example where I was the negotiator and he was the, uh, hostage taker. Right. Uh-huh. I don't know if that's the right word, but <laughs> we'll go. <with> <laughs> uh, and it was like, you know, like, you know, uh, I think it was like 60 seconds where she dies kind of a scenario. And how do you approach that using the techniques of negotiation? Uh, and I got to, you know, role play with that with him. And then, and then after that, you know, we sort of went through all of the different scenarios, like the different techniques. And then we went back to different role plays and, and tried to employ them. Uh, so it was really fun. It was a ton of fun. Yeah. What a unique opportunity. <laughs> yeah. yeah no, Jeez. It, was, it, was, it was great. It's also, I was like sweating for sure. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> you're like, well, you negotiate with a few people in your day, haven't you, Chris? Uh, here I am. I'm Josh, yeah. just trying yeah. to get by here. <laughs> yeah. He's sitting there telling us about how he got some, you know, some folks out of the Philippines. I'm like, I'm just trying to get a deal done to help people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to raise money for my company. <laughs> That's amazing. On the, on the fundraising note as well, since you're in it, I think it's kind of a unique uh, spot too. Uh, what are some things you're 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 doing on that note, or how are you approaching the fundraising process? Just from literally like a process standpoint, because a lot of people who haven't raised before aren't sure what to do. Um, it's obviously a learning experience for everyone, even at every stage, because it's different. If you're raising a seed round or pre-seed, it's different from a Series A. I'm just curious as to how you're kind of uh, going about approaching that. I can say how I went about approaching it. I, I think that's a better place to start. So. Sure. Again, I think that you, when you start a company and you have a good idea, because I think we have a good idea, um, I think that you think possibly like you're going to get more responses than you than you get because again, like you, you <laughs> see that sort of glamour, right? Uh, and you think that you're ready, but you're not, or at least we weren't. Um, and that was like a learning experience. Like we just weren't ready to raise capital when we started this thing, um, even though we thought we were. Um, and then like inside of that process, we just learned like why we weren't ready. And it was like, we needed to understand, um, we needed to understand where we were going a bit more. We needed to understand like the core drivers of the business um, a bit more. It's like, we knew them, but we really didn't like fully comprehend everything at the very beginning. Um, and then, you know, that led to also just like the, the process of it, which is, you know, you're not gonna, if you need to raise money and that's when you go out to go start talking to folks, you're already too late, you know? Um, yeah. Because the hardest part, I think, for a lot of folks that aren't really well connected, if, you're, if you don't live in Silicon Valley, uh, you know, and you're not already in the tech world or in, engaging with VCs, like, it's going to be hard for you to get in front of these folks. Um, a lot of folks won't even take, like, a direct inbound, right? Like, a cold, a cold call, if you will, right? They're like, you need to be referenced to us by somebody we know, whether that's an entrepreneur that we've invested in um, or, you know, an associate that, that can bring, bring you to the table. So developing sort of that network uh, of folks that can bring you to the table was is is critical, I think, just to yeah. get in, in front of folks, um, which is something that we didn't know. We thought we could just you know send a pitch deck in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, to that note too, I think a lot of VCs make it seem like 
oh yeah, our DMs are open, whatever, whatever. Like you can just you know, reach out to us on our website. But really, if you look, listen to any interview they've ever done, most of them will say that, yeah, I mean, it's a warm intro is what they need. Yeah, they're inaccessible. I will say um, what led to me getting in front of a lot of folks is I did tweet at an associate <laughs> asking Ooh. for help. <laughs> uh, Interesting. And, and he was fortunate. I don't know if I want to call him out, but he was <laughs> uh, he was considerate or nice enough to, to reach back out and uh, uh, and help me through that process and get me in front of a lot of a lot of people. And that led to us, you know, getting in front of more people it eventually led to us getting a lot of good angel investors on our um, uh, partnered with us. And it led to us getting impact America. Um, yeah. Uh, invested in us. Well, then it's, it's like the old adage of, if you want like money, ask for advice. Yeah, exactly. Advice, ask for money. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of that's how also something I learned, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's uh, true. It's absolutely yeah. true. Yeah, it, it's it, repeatedly over and over again. That seems yeah. to be what has happened with with people. And to your point of building that network of VCs, like it, it can seem like where to begin if you don't have that network already. But from talking to a number of VCs, I've interviewed a number of VCs as well. Um, they kind of mentioned like it's it's table stakes. Like if you can't find a way to get a warm intro, like we may find it difficult to run a company because it's going to take exactly. a lot of problem problem solving, yeah. you know, and that's why yeah. they do it typically. And also they're getting hundreds and thousands of requests constantly. So um, I think I was talking to Rick Smith from Crosscut when he was saying, you know, they may get like 5,000 inbound a year, look at maybe 500, invest in like 10. <laughs> like yeah. the numbers are, no, are crazy. That's, that's, that's what, what are. it is. Um, yeah. And I mean, we certainly didn't give up and, you know, um, it is, it's, it is hard, right? Like, and, and that's, you know, the other thing is too, is like every no is usually not like a no, like people say like the not right now is a no and it is, but at the same time, you know, like we had a conversation with someone in 2018, we had a conversation with someone in 2019 and they may say no, they may say no again, but it's like, eventually like we're saying, Hey, you know, we did, you know, X amount of revenue this year when we first spoke, we're doing 10 times that now, you know, it, it, just keeping in contact even with the folks that say no has definitely helped us. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a big part of if you read any uh like the angel book from Jason Calcanis mentioning monthly updates and people mentioning that on the uh, investing side. I think it was uh, uh, Joe, who's the co-founder of, I want to say Grow Credit, and he, I think he sends weekly updates, I want to say, and they're super in-depth. He, he sent me one of them uh, like a while back, just as an example, and I was like, this is kind of insane. But if you look at over and over again, sending those things, updates on what you're working on, what's in the works, et cetera, you know, people are going to see that progress as you're going through and investors are going to be intrigued by you and more likely to invest and also have an idea where you're at. So you're not just kind of cold out of the dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah them. exactly. So like, we don't, you know, I, I stopped, I think in the very beginning, you know, I took no's very personally. <laughs> uh, you know, like when you start a company, it's your baby, right? Like you literally care about it as much as your child, I think. Um, and so like, it can feel like someone saying your child's like not a good child, right? That, that would hurt anybody. Yeah. Um, but then you have to realize like, you know, like exactly like you said, they deal with 5,000 inquiries a year. Um, you know, they're trying to find the, their venture capitalists. They're trying to find unicorns. Right. Uh, yeah. And so just, you know, I like to say it's like they said no, but I'm going to keep wearing them down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I'm going to prove it. I just, you know, that's how we think. We'll just keep proving it. Yeah. And along the way, obviously growing your business and that's what does it. Um, exactly. It's a combination of those things. And for you on the kind of 
learning side of things as well. Any particular books that have been helpful, useful for you? Um, probably not the traditional things. Um, so I was a philosophy major in college. My, my business partner hates this about me probably, but I love it. Uh, like I was neuroscience and philosophy, but honestly, like I find, uh, stoicism to be really, really helpful in all of this. Uh, and yeah. I'm not going to advocate it and advise it to people, but I'm just saying like, these are the kinds of things that help me is like, we can refer back to when we think about, or at least when I think about books that are about productivity, like a lot of them refer to just, you know, not ancient, but old philosophy that like has been discussed for years and years and years. Uh, and I was fortunate to be able to study a lot of the like fundamentals of all that stuff when I was in college. And I honestly go back to these books and just read them over and over again to remind myself of like how I should be thinking, you know, like my process of thinking through things uh, and managing yeah. myself. I think it was, um, I want to say it was Naval Ravikant who mentioned learning about like game theory, mental models, et cetera, mm -hmm. like those types of things. And really, you know, learning how to learn essentially, exactly. uh, and learning, yeah, about how you think and it applies to really anything. And to your point of stoicism, like, I don't think that's weird at all. My microphone is sitting on the daily stoic right now by Ryan holiday <laughs> and I, and I read it every day the one passage a day from it. I always yeah. post on Instagram, uh, and that. It, it does help. I think that over time has has really helped me, even you know, Jessica Grind uh, startup as sorts as well. So it's like that is so helpful on the mental side to hear different different things and learn different things about your own psychology and how to look at the world. I'd be curious, like any particular books uh, on stoicism that have been helpful or things that you go back to again and again. Um, I'm very particular to, uh, the meditations. Um, and there's one translation of it that I got in college from one of my professors that I really loved. Cause there's obviously like a ton of translations for these things, but, yeah. uh, Marcus releases meditations, I think is great because it's not, uh, I don't know if you've read it, but it's just like, I, actually there are excerpts, I think in the daily stoic from the meditations, I'm pretty yep. sure. Um, uh, but it's just interesting because here you have, you know, maybe one of Rome's last great emperors, right? And he wasn't by any means like the chief philosopher, but you're just, you're, you're get, you get to get inside someone's head that is really trying to practice his, you know, his philosophy, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's nice to like see someone do that because it helps, it's just sort of like that experience share, right? Like he's telling you in through his journal what he's going through and the lessons that try to like, that he's learned uh, or that influenced the decision. Uh, and that's just been super helpful to kind of like, it's like you get to walk in the mind of a, of a great man, you know? Yeah, I have, uh, I've listened to it again on Audible. Audible is a, I just love it so much because I go on walks and runs potentially uh, listening to that or a podcast. And I listened to it a while back, Meditations. And I definitely feel like I need to revisit that one. That's one of the things I think, I don't know, I forgot who said this as well, but they mentioned how like even just like rereading the top, 10, 20 books versus always pursuing new ones can be more beneficial at times Yeah, because yeah. the passages kind of hit you deeper. And also every book really hits you different if you're at a different stage of your life too. And that's another thing I've kind of found out of reading, rereading some books more recently um, that are just kind of classics that I find, oh, well, now that I'm at this stage in my career, this yeah, actually means this hit. to me. <laughs> yeah. And like, that's, I never really thought about it like that until someone mentioned that. And I was like, wait a minute, this is genius. <laughs> I'm going to do this over and over again um, yeah. as well. And how do you, with, I mean, with, with all startup founders, because of the craziness that is a startup often, I'm curious as to how you recharge, how you kind of step away and make sure you're performing at your best. 
Uh, so many different ways. You know, uh, I think I saw in your bio that you wake up at 4 a.m. every day. <laughs> yeah, between, between 3 and 4.30, I'd say, every day. Yeah. So, like, we all have our little routines, right, that help us. Um, you know, I, uh, I try to meditate at least 10 to 20 minutes a day uh, just to, like, reset myself and sort of, like, use that as my foundation. Um, I've been an athlete my whole life. I've played water polo in college, so I still try to keep that up just to, you know, I think that's one of my outlets. Um, I, I, I can't advise on work-life balance because I don't have that, but those are the two things that at least, like, keep me centered most of the time, uh, just meditation and, and exercise. Uh, for me. And that's sort of part of my morning routine. Well, on that note, I'm going to, I'm going to take the the chance to talk about it. Work-life balance, especially with a startup, it's different, but I think I heard about really work-life integration or, or how Richard Branson mentioned how it's, it's, it's all just living. Uh, it's just what you're doing with your time. Mm-hmm. How, I mean, how do you look at that look side at of things? Just like that. That's how, <laughs> yeah. Just with your time. I mean, the, the truth of it is, like, I, I get stressed just like anybody else. This is sure. hard. You know, I've, like, I've definitely broken down at times. You know, I, I really care about, like, I really care not just about what we do, but, like, who we do it for. Anytime we have an issue that, like, affects a patient, I, I'm personally affected by that. Yeah. Um, and so, like, that can definitely wear me down. But at the same time, like, I feel blessed to have the opportunity to do this for people, and I do believe in what we're doing, and that kind of motivates me. So, you know the fact that I'm working 18 hours a day or 20 hours a day doesn't really bother me because like, I really enjoy what I'm doing. So it doesn't feel like work, but to the outside onlooker who sees me stressed out at times, they might be like, why is he doing this? He doesn't have any balance. Uh, But I'm like, no, this is, this is like my jam. I don't mind this. This is, this is, it's a little bit chaotic, but I I thrive in this because I love what I'm doing. So it doesn't feel like work, you know, all the time. Um, you know, and I think celebrating the wins is something important that I realized recently. Uh, and then another thing, just like inside of that, just recognize that you do have to take care of yourself, um, whether it be just telling yourself something nice. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. Yeah. you got to take care of yourself, you know, uh, or, or else you can't take care of others. That's what I believe. Yeah, I love that. I think it's to your point of like telling yourself something nice. I found that like even just thinking about not being as hard on yourself. Uh, I think it's difficult because entrepreneurs are typically just so driven and ambitious. And to your point, like you love what you're doing. So you want to keep doing as much as you possibly can. Like you expect a lot, especially as former athlete, I imagine as well, of like competition and winning and everything with that. So it's like not being as hard on yourself sometimes is helpful. But at the same time, it's like, that drive and ambition helps you push the company forward. So it is like a mix of how do you manage that? Uh, yeah. No clear answer, but no. And that, honestly, it's true. Like you are super hard, but that's why I think like remembering to celebrate the wins is just one way that you can take care of yourself. Like you will have wins and you'll probably forget about them because you're like, okay, that was a win. Let's, yeah. Like what, what bad happened? I need to fix that. <laughs> but just remembering like, Hey, I did have a win today. We did something really good. Uh, and that's how I can usually remind myself to, uh, or like that's that self-affirmation, I think. Yeah. And just to wrap things up here, is there anything, um, I think a lesson or takeaway or anything you tell another entrepreneur just from your journey the last three years or so with Care Car, anything else you wanted to share before we wrap things up? I think, you know, I was recently asked to, to speak at uh, Colby College about entrepreneurship. Um, and it's something that I didn't say, but I think sometimes it can feel like um, a lot of other wild aspirations. Like if you're a, uh, 
you know, want to be a musician. Uh, usually success is around the corner when you think you're going to fail. Um, like there's been so many times when we thought, like I've thought to myself, like, we're not going to get through this. I don't want to say that out loud. I'm not going to quit, but I don't know if we're going to get through this. But just like the idea of not quitting, even though you don't think you're going to like be able to make it, um, yeah. you know, because who knows, right? You, you never know what's going to happen in the, the day, but you do know if you quit, you're not really not going to make it. Um, so even if things seem like absolutely dire, dire, if the world seems like it's ending, just keep going. It doesn't matter. Just keep going. Because <laughs> until it is actually over, it's not over. <laughs> That's a great point. <laughs> Josh, where can people go to learn more about Care Car and connect with you as well? Uh, connect with me anywhere, LinkedIn, you know, Instagram, Facebook, I don't care any of those things. Uh, you can learn more about CareCar at www.carecar.co. Um, and honestly, I publish, I think, a lot of my contact information online, so people can just reach out to me directly. If you just type in my name, Josh Itano on Google, you should be able to find me. Perfect. Josh, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, you can find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go Grind. You can find me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Find me on Instagram, JustinGordon8. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.